Hello, my name is Fran Stoddard, and today the Orton Family Foundation is pleased to offer this event on how restoring and bolstering community pride leads to revitalization. Residents of three very different towns will share their stories about how their communities turned a corner once they restored pride in their hometown. Joining us today are Delilah Pupor. She's the Executive Director of Heart of Biddeford in Biddeford, Maine. Hi, Delilah. Hello, Fran. Great to have you with us. And Alice Tobridge is the Project Coordinator of Heart of Williamsport in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Alice. Hi, Fran. Thanks for having us on the call. Great. And Janine Hopkins is a Heart and Soul team member in Macomb, Ohio. It's so gl- it's so uh, wonderful to have you with us as well. Hi, Janine. Thank you very much. Hello. And thank you for all for being with us today to share your knowledge and wisdom. Before we get on to our guest stories, I'd like to cover just a few logistics. Each speaker will offer brief five- to seven-minute presentations, and then we'll have an interactive time for questions. I want to thank the many who have already sent in questions with your registration. We have over 300 registrants for our call today from across North America and beyond, so we'll be muting all the listeners. We have muted, actually, all the listeners um, um, at this point to get as clean an audio signal as possible. In your email is a link to our Google document for note-taking, comments, and questions. Orton's Caitlin Davison will be taking notes that she will proofread and refine after the call, providing a great resource for you in the future. You can add your own comments or questions to the document in real time in the edit mode. However, the edit mode in Google Docs is limited to 50 contributors at a time, so if you're not active in the document, just please return to the view-only mode to allow others to contribute. We will also leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference. Then in a few days, we will send links to the call notes and the recording to all registrants. If you're having any trouble with Google Docs during the call, clicking the refresh icon actually should fix it. Any other technical issues you have, you can try emailing Caitlin Davison at cdavison at orton.org. Thanks so much. And now on to our guests. So Delilah Papour has served as the Director of the Heart of Biddeford since 2011 when she picked up the helm of the Heart and Soul Project that began in 2009. Um, 2009, sorry. Delilah helped the uh, steering committee, the Heart and Soul Steering Committee, complete a downtown master plan and then initiated six projects in the first six months after its completion in order to build and sustain momentum. Delilah has woven the recommendations of the plan into the heart of Biddeford's annual planning process, which has led to very positive impacts in the downtown. Delilah, go ahead with your overview. All right. Thank you so much, Fran. It's great to be on the call with everybody today. Um, I'm going to just start with a brief interview about, uh, uh, overview about what Biddeford's story is, um, how the Heart and Soul process brought out the community pride, and then how um, that pride has been tied to the revitalization of Biddeford since about 2011. A um, couple things about Biddeford. Uh, as with other mill towns in Maine, uh, we were the hub for the textile industrialization of the country. And so there was tons of pride, you know, really built over <clears throat> more than 100 years here, of people coming to, from many different countries, sharing their um, talents and working together to build this industry and build this town. Um, and as those mills closed and then in around the 70s and 80s as the malls took over, uh, we had just lots of uh, sadness and grief and job loss and really a loss of pride with that. Um, and so a lot of efforts were tried around the, the city to build, uh, you know, revitalize the city, have economic development, um, sometimes have community development. And Heart of Biddeford is a Main Street organization, and we started in 2005 and began implementing projects, the four-point approach that's part of the Main Street program. But it wasn't until we started the Heart and Soul process in 2009 that we really felt we were able to deal with the apathy, the skepticism, even antagonism that was in our town um, because of all of those great losses. And um, what we 
were able to do just in a few examples, we had youth uh, interviewing their grandparents, high school students, to ask them about what their family's immigration story was, what it was like to work in the mills, why they were proud of this city. We set up storytelling booths at local festivals, including the La Kermesse Franco-American Festival that's been going on for 40 years. And we also had heart spots. Um, this was in 2009, so the technology is kind of funny now, but we um, had phone numbers in windows downtown, and people could call in and leave a voicemail message about um, their, their pleasant memory or happy memory there. And all of those activities really were building pride, and they were the foundation for us to figure out what this community said matters most, um, because drawing upon that history is what people said does matter to them. So that we didn't, you know, make some sort of a comeback, but become any town. How could we become more Biddeford? And um, that led to this downtown master plan, which was extremely specific with lots of actors involved. And um, because we're a Main Street organization, we were able to sustain and embed the results of that master planning process and what we do as well as keep people involved. And a few things where you could really see pride showing up afterwards as a positive result in the community. One is youth engagement. The youth who were involved um, doing those interviews with their grandparents started a tour program of the mills and they would do different fundraisers and learn the history and learn the, um, about the different ethnicities of people who came to this city and um, do fundraising events inside the mills, leading tours. They also um, dealt with a clock tower that had been taken off one of the mill buildings and did a save the clock tower um, effort and, and that was successful. Um, the university that we have in town used to um, tell its students when they arrived on campus, don't go downtown, it's not safe down there. And now this fall we'll be doing um, a welcome week right on Main Street in the downtown. Um, the Biddeford Mills Museum has um, started up since this process. And it's not necessarily a direct result of this, but that's where people started going on telling their stories about the mills and building the pride. And um, now that process has grown so much, and those, um, they're called mill veterans, folks who worked in the mills, and those who are also just interested in the history um, have created an incredible tour program, and that's tied to tourism in our town. We have um, tour buses that will be coming this summer because we've, um, I don't, this is not quite the right word, but capitalized on our pride. And then lastly, um, there have been so many city investments um, that have happened because people said, you know what, this positive vision for the downtown actually is possible. We we really should get behind it. Um, we had a trash incinerator in the middle of our downtown, which some people find hard to believe, but in the 80s it made sense. Nothing else was coming downtown. Everything was going up to the malls, and it was supposed to uh, turn trash to energy. Um, some of that didn't happen, but a lot of um, smelly trash did happen in the downtown. So for a few decades we had this trash incinerator that we couldn't get rid of because it was our city's largest taxpayer, and it also had 80 jobs. But once we had a vision based on pride and what was possible and what matters most, people said, you know what? We'll risk losing those 80 jobs for a positive vision for the future. We'll risk losing that tax base. And now just uh, a few years later, um, that uh, trash incinerator was removed, and we are already um, showing the tax base has filled in that gap because of the um, – the assessments in our downtown properties that have improved. Um, you know, the city council last night, uh, you know, we used to just do this little program of putting 20 barrels downtown of flowers. Last night they um, approved the funding to put 120 barrels um, downtown of uh, flowers to really say that this is our place of pride. Um, and I just thought I'd mention really quickly that um, the downtown businesses also understand that Building on our pride, building on who we are, making Biddeford more Biddeford is um, is a way to revitalize Biddeford. There's a company that moved here from Brooklyn called Angel Rocks. They're a clothing designer, and they know that as they build out their store, they need to pay homage to the mill workers here. They need the supplies that they use are from the mills, um, and as they sell their products around the country, they're reflecting back that Biddeford is where this was made, and so they're building on that Biddeford pride. 
and I set my timer for seven minutes, and that's just a few seconds left. Done. <laughs> You're remarkable, Delilah. Thank you for all the amazing work you you have done in Biddeford and continue to do. It really is an amazing place to see how that town has turned around. I think it's uh, one of the fastest-growing uh, towns in Maine. Uh, it is vibrant. It is hip. People are moving, you know, there from um, – who uh, might want to be in Portland, but it's the hip town uh, outside of Portland. It's really been a, a remarkable turnaround. So thank you for introducing us to that story. Thanks. I'd like to move on and introduce Alice uh, Trowbridge now. She is a graduate of Penn State University and a registered landscape architect. She's worked in land development, recreation planning, rivers conservation planning, and now provides technical assistance to river towns for visioning and revitalization with the Susquehanna Greenway Partnership. Currently, she's focused on the heart of Williamsport. It's a community heart and soul project focused on involving everyone, especially missing voices, in creating a path forward for the town and for decision-making based on what matters most. We're so glad you're with us today, Alice. Uh, go ahead and tell us about Williamsport. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, the Susquehanna Greenway is, uh, partnership has been collaborating with the Humanities Council and Department of Conservation and Natural Resources to use Heart and Soul as part of our Greenway Rivertown program. Uh, right now we're working in Williamsport, which is a small city. We're located on the west branch of the Susquehanna River. Uh, the demographics here are very diverse both ethnically and economically. We have about 30,000 residents, and here in north-central Pennsylvania, that makes us a large urban center. Uh, there's a thriving arts community that has been an impetus for a revitalization in the downtown. We have a lot of great shops and restaurants. Uh, of course, we have Little League. and uh, But there's been a lot of nurturing over the last 20 years to revitalize the downtown. And one of the next focuses is going to be on the surrounding residential neighborhoods. Um, we have been working with Heart and Soul a little over a year, and we've gathered stories about what matters most. And what we've been noticing is as the community conversation begins to focus on what we value, you can see a shift happening where people begin to remember what it is they love about this place. So we're still pretty early in the process, but we're starting to see that happen. Um, one of the key principles of Heart and Soul is to engage everyone. And we find that as we reach out and connect with people one-on-one, -on -one, have these conversations and dialogues and short story sharing, um, especially when we do it with the seldom heard voices, we see a change in people individually and as a group. Um, everyone wants to be heard, and when they are, something magical happens. You know, you can see people lighten and brighten. They get a sense that they matter, that their ideas count. And, you know, we've even had people say to us, gee, nobody's ever asked me what I thought about something. So it, it's nice to know that we're bringing that to um, new groups of people. Um, and as that happens, there's a renewed sense of self-worth self and dignity. And I think that leads to pride that then ripples out into the community. An example of this would be, as we were doing our story gathering, we reached out to one of our city's most challenging neighborhoods, which is Second Street. It's a neighborhood of Section 8 housing, um, has had a reputation for a lot of illicit activities, drug dealings, extreme violence. And about two years ago, the property management group, they shifted the preference to families leaving homeless shelters. And that had that had a positive improvement by uh, impacting the nature and character of the residents in a positive way. But there's still this perception, um, you know, that exists about it being a bad place. Um, the people that live there are below the poverty level, and the surroundings are pretty harsh in that there's no trees, surrounded by heavy industry. So last summer in our process, we went to Second Street, and we had a block party. And during the block party, we met with neighbors and just asked them questions like, what is it like to live here? Um, if there was something you could do to make life better, what might that be? And the things that came out of the conversation were they needed a safe place for their children to play outside. Um, 
we found out that the neighbors didn't really know each other because of rental unit turnover and also because there's no neighborhood gathering space for them to get together. So um, we, we took this information, and then shortly thereafter, the area's supermarket closed. So now these people have to go more than a mile for food. And it doesn't just impact the neighborhood around 2nd Street. There's also a local college there, so the students that live in that end of town are impacted as well. One of the things we, with this awareness, we went to an organization in our community called Our Towns. And they have been focused on community revitalization. And they were an impetus to bring um, a First Friday event to our downtown and to really foster that arts community that's helping so much with our our revitalization. And their next goal is to revitalize neighborhoods surrounding the downtown. So we went to them with these ideas and told them what we were hearing, and the idea for a community garden emerged. So last month we had another block party at 2nd Street, and we asked the neighbors, would you like a community garden? If If we had one, what would you want to have in it? We had people of all ages, races, we had plans with cutouts of raised beds, and people could move them around and show their ideas for where they put things. We found out there were people living there who had extensive gardening experience but haven't had an opportunity to plant a garden for some time, and they really missed it. So we had fresh vegetables to eat, pictures of how they grow, and from that we had children wanting to grow seedlings before we could even construct the beds. This community project has uh, garden project has now become a neighborhood focal point. And it's a point for positive change because someone took the time to ask a few questions, more importantly, to listen to what they said was important and then to follow up with some action. So it's not only getting a garden built there, but it's building bridges between diverse populations. It's bringing people together. Um, like our towns has movers and shakers from our city, and they're coming together to work with an underserved population, and these people are now getting to know each other. So it's a great bridge being built. Um, and how does all this lead to pride? Well, on 2nd Street, uh, we have neighborhood residents who have volunteered to be garden captains. They take pride in the fact that they have gardening knowledge and they want to share what they know with others. This interaction is building not just their pride, but much needed relationships between these, neighbor, these neighbors. Um, and then even beyond the neighborhood, we've seen how heart and soul is impacting civic pride. Last month, as part of our overall project, we had a public summit, and that was to develop value statements from the stories we gathered. We had 59 people present, including Star. Star is a young mother from Second Street. She's so valued being heard through the heart and soul process that she wanted to continue to be heard, so much so that she walked over a mile and a half each way with five children under the age of eight. So my thought is, you know, my guess is she never would have attended a public meeting or voiced her ideas, and that's the difference with heart and soul. It really restores both personal and community pride by have, giving people a voice and having them see that they matter just as much as everyone else. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Alice. That's a, a very heartening story, and I just like to remind people when it when it comes to heart and soul. Williams um, uh, Port has just been really uh, working on this process for about a year. Biddeford is eight years in, and the town has really turned around. Uh, we are um, about to go to Macomb, which has been doing this for about two years. So it, this this is a process that takes time, uh, certainly, but, but things really can change. And while I've got a, a moment, uh, next month, it's going to be all about community gardens, so that's just such a great setup, Alice, to where we're going um, and, and how community gardens can completely turn towns and neighborhoods around. So uh, for those of you that perked up their ears around the community gardens, make sure to tune in also next month for that. Uh, right now, I'd like to introduce Janine Hopkins. She is a retired school teacher 
and soon-to-be-retired pastor after 46 years of service in the Presbyterian Church. And in the middle of all of that, she worked as an executive secretary for a small business firm over a 16-year period. She's been a member of the Macomb Heart and Soul Planning Team since their initial application process three years ago. She believes that the spiritual health and economic health of a community are tied together. so, Janine, it's so great to have you with us. So, tell us what you've noticed about renewed pride and its effect in Macomb. Okay, thanks. The Macomb Heart and Soul region is made up of about 4,000 people, uh, two small villages, and four townships. And all together, that, that is uh, across two counties, and it equals one school district. And we began our heart and soul process by asking people a couple of questions. The first one was, what do you like about living here? And the second one was, from your stories of childhood here, what things then matter most to you that you would want to bring with you into the 21st century? And those things those answers, which were common across most answers, told us of what things people take pride in. And the first one is the school, their children. This is the Midwest, and you know how that works. Mom, apple pie, God, country, and football. And football is certainly one of the big movers and shakers here on Friday nights in the fall (laughs) and Saturdays when Ohio State plays football. These people bleed scarlet and gray. And they take great pride in their children. And one of the things that we realized early on was that the children in the school system from elementary on through high school were really excited about what we were doing, and they wanted to be a part of it. The elementary uh, classes made videos for us. They took walks and uh, drew pictures and wrote essays and helped when we had activities. They just seem to grasp the importance of it in the first place and have been active throughout these two and a half years that we have been uh, working on this process. They have given some real thought to what they would like to see happen in this area. So they are excited about the future here. Another thing that I noticed about change, It has everything to do with pride, and that is when I first came here, there were a lot of houses that were empty and really ramshackle and a lot of cars and trucks that looked like they were just rusting away in driveways. They hadn't been used for a long time. There were weeds growing up now. These houses are gone. The vehicles have disappeared, and where there were weeds, there are now flowers. Uh, There has been pride taken in property and uh, in places that before were not very pretty. It is a nice place to live, and it's not an isolate. One of our big challenges has been to try to include and be inclusive to people who speak Chinese, Thai, and Spanish. We have uh, uh, an area in one of our villages that is 15% made up of this population of folks, and it has been difficult because of the language barrier, to uh, connect with them. And we have been making a concerted effort with both the Presbyterian Church and Heart and Soul to see if we can't overcome that language barrier 
and a couple of things that have happened that have been really great. We invited a Latino couple to cater a, a dinner for one of our heart and soul um, groups, lunch or dinner. And oh my goodness, we had eight complete entrees from the heart of Mexican cuisine. They were absolutely fantastic. And from that, we learned that this couple was wanting to do something uh, in the form of a business with with this idea. And uh, we found someone in the business community here in Macomb who was also helping with Heart and Soul, who has been helping them navigate all of the paperwork and uh, get past all the language problems to help them set up what they may need to do that. It's not accomplished yet, but it's on its way, and it has great promise. And hopefully that also will encourage some other folks uh, that they can do some smaller things in our region will make a big difference. And my time is up. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janine. And, and you've been cutting out a little bit, but I think I think we 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 got everything you said. Um, so I'm not sure if that's for the question and answer period, getting a little closer to your phone or whatever. But I, I we heard wonderful stories. I, I loved how the kids wanted to get involved. They're excited about the future, um, and uh, the change indeed has everything to do with pride. That your town is looking better. You're you're um, embracing. Uh, new uh, people to the community. It's um, it's a really heartening story. Thank you so much for um, for everything that you brought to the table there today. Thanks. So now on to our uh, questions uh, that you all have brought in. I'm I'm seeing a few more have have come in recently, but we're going to go back to some that um, have been were sent in a little bit earlier. Um, I, I believe and I I hope. Um, that uh, Kelly from Pennsylvania, who said, do you feel renewed prize is a catalyst to change, that that has been answered? These three certainly think that's so. So I'm going to move on to Karen from Colorado, who asked, how are rural communities changing the narrative to do something more hopeful and positive? Um, I, I, I heard many things here, certainly getting getting the children involved, um, et cetera. Is there... Um, there's something I don't know from Alice. What are you experiencing about uh, communities changing the narrative for something that's more hopeful and positive? You're you're working in some some pretty tough um, a, a tough part of town. Um, yeah, I I think just by dialoguing with people who are not typically asked their opinion um, and bringing their opinions together with everyone from across the community, um, I, th I think that's helping to change the narrative because it's bringing new ideas forward. Um, one of the great things about Heart and Soul is that it doesn't have an agenda. It's not like usual civic engagement where you have a specific project that it's attached to. Um, this, is, this is just open form and you're just asking people openly what it is they value. And so, you know, it, I, I think that in and of itself really helps to change the narrative. Mm. And, and I'd like to go back to uh, Delilah. One of the things that struck me when I visited Biddeford once is that they said that the old guard was not letting anything kind of move forward and they weren't looking to the future. Um, they, they kind of were, were holding on tight to the past and everything is um, – is not positive things things are pretty bad but once the the young people started interviewing them and acknowledging their past through the museum uh through honoring them having the mills veterans it loosened up the hearts of these um kind of embittered folks that their time was not going to be forgotten and they kind of let then the town uh move toward the future and does does that I think I think that's a great summary of it Delilah? Yeah, I think um, for many, they felt like if it's not like 1950, when we had thousands of people out on the streets as the, sh the three shift chains per day happen, then nothing's happening here. 
And honestly, you know, there's still many who feel that way because they've seen what it was, at, you know, in an entirely different economy. And they're not necessarily sold that this new economy, um, you know, where things aren't necessarily based on building stuff, you know, items anymore. Um, you know, it, there's still a lot of work to do that way. But I think your your term of loosening things up, being open to hearing um, that a new vision, you know, that it's not going to work to tear the mills down, because um, that, that was a feeling too, like if they're not going to be producing, you know, the fabric for the country, then they shouldn't be there anymore. Let's just start over. Um, they've seen that they are valued the buildings are valued. The people who were in them are valued. And so maybe we could talk about um, new ways of building an economy. Thank you. Um, Tiara from Pennsylvania asks, how can people love their home community when there are few opportunities for employment and entertainment and to overall enjoy a good life? Um, this is interesting since I've heard so many of you talk about asking people what they love about their town. So, Janine, how did, did Macomb, whom there might have been some people who didn't think much was happening there, did you, did you feel that just by asking the question, something changed where they recognized there were different kinds of opportunities? That is true, but I also think that, again, we go back to the communication piece of it. Uh-huh. You build community two people at a time, one talking, one listening, and then you add the third voice. And as you talk with one another, you you begin to see things from a new perspective, and that helps bring more hope and also more ideas. So that when maybe you didn't think you had anything but a dandelion, but when the flower came out, it was very pretty. So um, you can kind of say, well, you know what, there may be something here that's worthwhile. After all, I live here. Right, right, exactly. They live there. So uh, Alice or uh, Delilah, some thoughts about people that, that think there's just nothing nothing happening in their town. Well, how would you address that? Well, uh, this is Delilah. I learned a new phrase the other day. Of, um, you know how anchor stores used to be the, the heart of a, of a business district, um, to start to think about anchor events instead. And, you know, if every, um, if people were willing to put on a bunch of small concerts in um, places where a building has been knocked down or in a small park, um, and that was what happened every Friday through the summer, or, if you know, um, the community garden you just talked about or um, doing a, um, bringing a farmer's market to the area, things like that become anchors to the downtown even though they only pop up occasionally. And, um, you know, the people can buy in and help create those, and it doesn't cost much money, and sometimes it can cost nothing to make that happen. And, um, in you know, as Heart of Biddeford was doing those um, kinds of events um, and projects from 2005 through nine, that's where we started kind of thinking, well, we could be a – a town that could take on a heart and soul process. We were building the capacity, I guess, at that point. Um, so. And um, Alice, I'll just I'll ask you this question also, because it also kind of addresses, um, there's a later question, what are strategies to bring folks into community conversations, engagement events that might not otherwise get involved? So it's, an, it's involving people who don't think there's much going on. This is, it certainly includes low-income population, young families, and youth. Um, anything to add to getting getting those people involved, feeling differently it's about it? It's been really interesting. We have a lot of activities in our community, but what we found in gathering our data is a lot of the people who have lived here their whole life are the ones who say there's nothing to do. And the people who have come in in the last 10, 15 years, one of the things they love about the community is how much there is to do. And so it was an interesting um, disconnect that we found. Then that, you know, it, you know, whether it's people choosing not to, you know, be out and active or what, uh, we're still trying to sort through all that. But we definitely found that it was more the people who had been here for a long time that would say, oh, there's nothing to do. But um, 
others will, will tell you, and, and that's one of the things in our value statements. So I think as we take our value statements out and get feedback on them, it's going to be in front of people just, um, you know, talking about how many wonderful things there are offered in the community. Thank you. Uh, Elaine from, um, it looks like, uh, I believe it's Mississippi, how to engage 50 plus residents, and in other words, people over 50, in heritage con- conservation and tourism, and how to engage K through 12 students in heritage education and appreciation and maintenance. So in other words, how to, how to in- kind of involve almost all ages, but certainly older folks and younger folks in, in heritage. This might be, um, uh, I, I don't know if it's more in, in Biddeford, Maine, and in Pennsylvania, where there's um, a lot of heritage in both of your towns. Uh, and Delilah, you talked a little bit about this, um, about getting the uh, the kids involved. Do you, do you want to um, build on your um, yeah. wonderful museum and youth engagement? Go ahead. Yeah, um, one thing that was so key about the youth engagement was we had a teacher who's um, – you know, uh, American history as well as civics were her emphases, and so she really thought having her kids involved in a project in the community was important. And when we've tried to do other projects since then in, with schools, um, having a champion within the schools um, has been essential. Um, and so if you can find a teacher who might want to do something like we did um, with interviewing their grandparents, um, you know, whether those folks are in town, or maybe it's, you know, finding a group that plays bingo, um, who might be from the 50-plus club. God, I'm in the 50-plus club. I don't play bingo. Maybe we're going for <laughs> um, But, you know, uh, find a place where these residents that you're concerned about do already have some commonality, and then get them talking about what they know about the heritage and history around. Um, I have also found that it's amazing what a very small grant will do for people. Um, we just found out about this $12,000 grant around um, preserving conservation will do, and we were able to get six different groups around the table to think of a really fun event that went well beyond what the grant would cover. Um, but it's because we had – there's this little pool of money available. Do you guys want to get together and think about how we can use it? Um, so if you have a nonprofit in the area that can help you um, find even a $5,000 grant to, or, or less um, to start something up, that can kind of galvanize people to get around the table and figure out how to put that to good use and then build from there. Terrific. Thank you. Um, Laura from Kentucky wants to know how to engage older political citizens. Um, Not sure what she might mean from there, and maybe we can even combine it about how to even motivate people to volunteer. So how do we we get these people, again, more engaged? And uh, Tonya um, from Tennessee and Kentucky are are interested in that, whether they're political or not. How do you you get your citizens to uh, begin to volunteer and, and get involved? Uh, let me see. One and I, uh, I'll throw this at Alice. Back to you. Okay. Um, well, it, you know, it's always a challenge. Volunteering is always a challenge. But we found that the people, as people did get involved in the story sharing and story gathering, um, it's a little bit infectious uh, because it's exciting. You start learning things. You start making relationships. And we found that the people who volunteered were eager to volunteer more. Um, Mm. So it's kind of interesting once you get people into the process, uh, you know, and and being able to tell them, you know, they may not have to make a long-term commitment. Like there could be opportunities to show up for four hours one day versus having to work for six months at something. Um, So some of those were some of the things that helped us. But once people got in and, and got doing the storytelling and story gathering, it kind of was a, somewhat of a self-perpetuating in that it's exciting, and when you're learning and going through it, um, it just pulls you in. <laughs> mm, terrific. And um, Janina, actually, Caitlin uh, uh, reminded me that there is a video of kids in Macomb um, in the in the Google Doc that people can also watch, and um, I think there are a couple of videos there that are, are very inspiring about pride. 
what are you finding in, in just a few years that you've been uh, working on this um, with this work in Macomb that motivates other people to volunteer and get engaged? Primarily, this is a small this is a small group, but primarily, one personally invites someone to come help, mm. rather than just saying, you know, we're looking for help here. Uh, but you, you actually go, you call somebody on the phone, you see them on the street, you say, hey, you know, we're doing we're doing a heart and soul activity. W- would you come help? And that, if they don't even know what that is, that gives you the opportunity to tell them. Plus, most of the time, you get a positive answer. Yes, they will come. Uh, but it it has it's more one to one than it is just making a statement that we're looking for help. It's got to be personal. It works much better. Okay. Can I add one piece onto that? Please, yeah, sure. Um, and I totally agree with what she just said. Um, at uh, I went to the National Main Street Conference, and I went to a speaker, um, Ken Culp, C-U-L-P. He's a profes- uh, professor, and he was talking about 21st century volunteers and just talked about how they're different from the last century volunteers, which might have, like, joined an organization to be a member of the 4-H or the Elks or, you know, and then you show up every month because you're a member, Um, that many, um, both elders and young people, millennials, are joining because they get behind a cause. Mm -hmm. And I think with Heart and Soul, you really get to define what the cause is that we're changing this big thing and we're all behind it. Um, And so um, it may help to play up that, you know, do instead of recruiting in an old way, like trying to get somebody to join a group that we'll meet every month, hey, will you help us put on this event that's going to happen this weekend because we're going to create an anchor event that builds every year uh, from here and become makes this the heart of this part of the country. Um, and then you may be able to get people more involved. And another just major point, the only other one I'll mention right now, is that um, today's volunteers, especially millennials, like to be empowered and coached, but not managed. Mm. So let them know the big picture. Let them think up how they could make that big picture happen. Support them to do it, but don't say, okay, I need you to show up, and here's what you're doing for the next 22 minutes. Uh, they don't like to be managed. They like to be given the, the power to carry something out. Great tips, Delilah. Thank you so much. Um, I wonder how they would take on uh, this challenge from Leota in Massachusetts. She says there are two sectors of our town, downtown that are separated by an historic square. How do we bridge our historic downtown with our newly revitalized downtown? This is an area that runs along the river, has empty storefronts, and are connected to a new developed rail trail. All these areas have unique history. Everything, however, I guess, everything feels segmented. How do we bridge these areas to create a city destination for both residents and tourism. This is this is a pretty tough problem. It, it feels like, Delilah, you, you again have more of a perspective about I this. have one thought on Can that. You start us off? Yeah, um, just to start off, I think that that's a wonderful community question. It's such a mm-hmm. great question, and who better to answer it than the folks there? And you mentioned that you have empty storefronts, so you have space to do some work in. Um, could could one of those empty spaces be taken over uh, for a month and run by high school or um, retirees? Um, it's a place that you come in and write your ideas up on, you know, sheets around the walls and um, that there are, there's a coffee house on Monday and something else on Tuesday and uh, people get to come in and say, you know, how do we how do we make the bridge? Um, I can I think people might be willing to come in and join in that conversation. Hmm. Nice response. Um, and any other ideas from the other two, or shall we move on to our questions? It's a, go, ahead. It's a, it's a, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the same. I was thinking the same thing. It's really, I think it, it has to come from what the people value, and if they have the ideas, then it'll just help propel it forward. Okay. I'd like to uh, move on to Paula from South Dakota who asks, how do you convince communities to commit to the change process over the long term? 
so many times community res residents get impatient um, if things, uh, let me see, that was just moved around. Um, I have just lost the question. That just but, Impatient if things don't happen right away. Okay, it's, it's a good question because I think some people just want to see things happen immediately. This work is is not does not happen overnight. So this kind of convincing communities to be a part of a process that might take a while. Uh, any any thoughts about that, Janine? About this 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 work takes time. You've been at it for two years, but um, how how have you gotten people kind of do you find that some get impatient? If things don't happen right away? Uh, we are facing that right now. We are finishing uh, the first three things. We have not yet done the brick and mortar part. We're ready to do that as soon as we have our training. But our people are out ahead of us and have already told us more or less, we don't want any more meetings. We don't, we're, we're done with that. So we are finding uh, sort of borrowing from other places that we have uh, heard about and read about through Heart and Soul uh, in other places. Maybe some of the things that uh, these two ladies have actually been a part of to find ways to get information to and from our community without asking them to come for a what do you call it a meeting, a summit, or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're 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 not gathering. So you do have to think uh, in a little broader scope as to what might we do. And uh, what Delilah suggested about that, that past question, uh, how you get two ends of your, of your uh, folks together, uh, some of those kinds of things I think are necessary to keep people on board. Right. Well, we have another um, question that just came in uh, today during your talk. Where she's uh, whoever asked that the speakers focus on really engaging and listening to citizens on a personal level, which is fantastic, and I think I love that. I, I see Janine out there on the on the streets talking to her neighbors. But this person asked, "What do you think of less personal ways to engage and listen? Things like surveys or community meetings are they as impactful?" And I'm 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 hearing there needs to be a mix. Um, but, um, Alice, do you want to weigh in on different ways of engaging people and what has worked or not worked for you? Certainly. Um, yeah, we, we actually started with, uh, we had a rack card, as we called it, with three simple questions on it. And we took that out to a lot of public events last summer, uh, last spring and last summer. Uh, we had an online survey that asked the same three questions. And that was how we got some initial information and um, started seeing what kind of themes were emerging. And then from that, that was kind of like a, a kind of like laid a groundwork and then went out and did more in-depth story gathering, sitting down with people one-on-one -on -one to get more details, to get, um, you know, just fill in the blanks. Uh, so it, it, it does involve uh, both levels of data gathering and story gathering um, because, you know, I mean, you can get about a thousand data points from surveys and um, rack cards, you know, even speaking with people on the street and having them fill one out. But you still need to go in then and do the in-depth or you don't, you might get what people like, but you don't get why they like it and why it's important to them. So I think the follow-up with the one-on-one -on -one is important to get to that. Yeah, I remember in Gardiner, Maine as well, um, they had several of their um, downtown bars and restaurants, I think, had um, beer, what do you call coasters on the table that asked people a question, and then they yeah. could write the answer to that question and post it up on the wall. So as people walked around their places that they had downtown, they, they saw what their other community members thought about a certain question about the downtown. Maybe it was, what do you love most about the downtown? Right. And actually, since you brought up Gardner, I, I can't resist. They also went to a football game, which reminded me of Janine, to uh, get people also involved in interviewing and learning about Heart and Soul. They were they were handing out um, things at the football game because everybody was there and, and rallied around um, that. And it was, it's a great place to make sure you reach a lot of people. 
Mario asks an interesting question. He says, what are some of, some best practices that folks can rally around nationally? Um, not sure if that seems that that can be interpreted in, in many ways, but he also says rural needs to speak with a bigger voice. Um, and any this, these are, it's almost a philosophical question, but do any of you have thoughts about Mario's concern that rural needs aren't heard very well and, um, how do, how do we begin to change that and or uh, conduct in best practices um, that can make us stronger? Anyone up for for tackling that that kind of very large question? My brain has well, stopped working apparently. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty big, and we don't have to go there. I, I invite other people who are who are listening today because I know there are a lot of you. Let's start a dialogue here. This is um, this is not really what this group came to talk about. I think it's a very interesting question, Mario, and I hope that um, we many of our people come in and and help us with think about that question. So I'm going to move on because we're we are moving. You know, running out of time a little bit, but it's an interesting one to think about. Um, so I'm going to move on to Katie in West Virginia. She says, my rural community, which has, has a tourist-based economy, has issues retaining employees. How can we engage these community members so they take pride in their work? And it sounds like the work is very tourist-based, so it has to do with the town, one would hope there's pride there, but clearly Katie feels there's there's something missing. Um, any any thoughts, uh, Alice? About I know Williamsport is working on a tourist-based economy and how that might work. Do you have thoughts about retaining em employees and getting them to take pride in their work? Any any issues like that happening in Williamsport? Hmm. Um, not specifically, but. I would think if there was a solidified um, kind of, you know, common, like, you know, through this process, one of the things you come up with is what are the, the aspects or the character of a community that people really value, and maybe it's a, a matter of it hasn't really been defined or solidified. Um, not sure. I mean, you know, tourist-based economy can be pretty broad, but, um, depending on what it is, I mean, you know, people need to buy in. Like we have, right now we have arts and culture is really uh, becoming, it's really a driving force in our community right now, and people have embraced it. And, uh, but it took, you know, it takes time to get off the ground, but it, it also takes a champion. It takes a group to get behind any effort and really, um, you know, wave the flag and, and, and carry it forward. Um, and that's kind of generic, generic, but huh? that's helpful. Um, and 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 Delilah, I was amazed to hear that tour buses are coming to the Mills Museum and to the Mills. That's you might not have imagined that a number of years ago. Yeah, that so, is, it's been a great shift for sure. And I don't think we'll get to qualify as a tourist town <laughs> yet necessarily. Um, something in that question, just you know, there there are many parts to it. So just one thing I picked up on was that maybe the employees in the tourist-based economy don't currently take pride in their work. And sometimes um, pride does have to do with how much you feel like you're valued by a place. Um, I felt like when the elders in our community got listened to, they were empathized with and understood and shown that they were valued. And then the more they felt valued, the more they valued community efforts and changes. And so I was just wondering if, you know, if you're a service community where people who are doing the service work can't afford to live there, well, then they may not feel very valued there and therefore not reinvest in their work or stick around. Um, I have no idea if that's the case in the, the questioner, Katie's question, but um, I always just make sure to ask the question from a power um, dynamic you know, is there any of that going on there that could be looked at and how can people feel more valued both just from being listened to or structurally? You know, in the example I gave, does the community have workforce housing that people can afford to live in, for example? Mm. Good really good question. Great. 
We are um, we're coming near the end of the the time, and I just want to make sure that our three wonderful guests have a chance to talk to our audience about first steps you have taken or would take to help a town restore pride. Seems certainly we are addressing that um, to some degree with Katie in West Virginia. So those first steps that somebody might take to help their town turn around and restore their pride. And if there's if there are any other final thoughts that you have um, that came up for you during this call, I invite you to share those as well. Um, Janine, do you want to start with, you know, steps? Um, if, if you were talking to somebody in a different town who wanted to do what Macomb has been doing, first steps that you would take to help a town restore their pride? Well, if they're not involved with the heart and soul community uh, idea, and you can't do it alone. You're, you're going to have to, I think, with, you would start by building uh, some bridges with people in a start small but dream big. So get a few people together who are interested in the idea of making changes and and start talking. And then ask these kinds of questions. What what can we do that doesn't cost a lot of money, but that would make an impact at least in this little area, and see if it catches fire. And are there any other um, final thoughts you had from the whole uh, discussion today that you wanted to share? No, I appreciated being a part of it, and uh, the more I learn about what other heart and soul communities are doing, the more uh, input that I might have to bring to our own. Okay, terrific. It's um, Thank you so much for being on the call, and thank you for telling us. I mean, even that your town is, the front yards are changing and cleaning up, is uh, that's um, that's profound and, and just a beautiful part of your story. Um, Alice? Your um, your thoughts about how you would help a town restore its pride? Um, I think a real key to that is finding out what people value, um, mm-hmm. finding finding something that they care about. And sometimes the easiest way to get that is you ask them what they value and they, they'll him-haw around. But if you say, if there were something in our community that were lost that would change how you feel about it, what would that be? And all of a sudden, they start going from their head to their heart, and it's like, oh, well, if, you know, our view of the mountains across the river would disappear, I, I would feel totally different. Or And you find out what are some of the, the core values that people have related to where they live or work. Um, then it's something that it becomes personal and that they're vested in. So I, I think finding out what that is and then finding out what that common thread is throughout the community can be very powerful in, in uniting um, uniting people around the cause. I, I love your um, finding a way to go from head to heart, and that takes really terrific listeners like uh, like you are, um, among others. So thank you for that. And are there any other final thoughts that you have for um, our listeners? I would just encourage people. I mean, the whole process, it, it is very time-consuming, but it is so valuable. Um, the idea of doing civic engagement through storytelling, what we have found is that the process is a lot less formal than most civic engagement. It is more fun. And with that, it, it seems to be less intimidating to people because you're just telling a story. You're telling your story. And so you tend to get people to the table that otherwise wouldn't participate. And I would just encourage people uh, to consider that. Terrific. Thank you so much, Alice. And finally, Delilah, your your first steps you would take um, and any final thoughts? Um, I think it's gathering with a few people, that quote of never doubt that a thoughtful, committed group of um, can get together and change the world. Um, you know, not wait, not not waiting to take something on until you think the elected officials are behind it, or that 70% of the community would be for it. But you know, having coffee or tea, and 
not at the the complaining diner, but go to the enthusiasm diner and, you know, say, <laughs> what do we love about this place? What do we want more of? Not what isn't working here and how can it, ch- you know, how do we change what's never been able to change before? Um, that kind of leads to its own spiral down versus, you know, what's, what's possible. And um, then just figure out who else can we add to this table over and over again. Okay. Thank you so much, Delilah. Um, I'd like to thank all three of you for a terrific call and caring so much about um, our small towns. Thank you, Delilah, for your stories and wisdoms from, from Biddeford. It was great to have you on the call. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And, Alice, thank you again for sharing your enthusiasm and knowledge um, and all of your work in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Thank you. And Janine, thanks for your inspiring stories from Macomb, Ohio. It's great to have you on on board. Thank you so much. And many thanks to all of you across the U.S. and beyond for joining us today. We hope that you'll also take a moment to fill out our brief survey to help us continue to improve our call series. Look for links to our survey under announcements. And also check in here. Add to this Google Doc. Make it rich. Uh, Make the wisdom of our crowd Uh, shine and help everybody else who's on the call. In June, we'll be partnering with the Citizens Institute on Rural Design for a webinar about how local food is keeping downtowns vibrant, from food hubs to farmers markets. Across the country, a local food revolution is afoot that is inspiring and strengthening communities along with it, including in Williamsport, a story that we just heard today. So join us in a month um, to find out more. I'd like to thank the Orton Family Foundation who make these sessions possible. Look for a recording of this call that will be sent out to all registrants and posted on our website, www.orton.org, in the next few days. For the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Have a great day. Bye-bye.